to First um, Peter. We've been in First Peter for four weeks now. Today's our last day in First Peter, and so that what that means in terms of where we're heading next would be a, a, a new conversation on Advent. Advent starts next week, uh, so you've been hearing all the Christmas songs starting to come through your speakers and uh, in Target and every other place where you shop. You're starting to see things that you need to buy people for Christmas and so forth. So next week, we're starting a new conversation in Advent called Christ Born in Us. So the celebration of Christmas is not just that Christ is born in this world, but that he's coming to be born inside of us, not just a city somewhere way off in in a distant past that we can't even relate to, but a very personal God who comes to us. So looking forward to going through uh, the book of Luke together during the month of December. So now back to 1 Peter. Uh, We've been in a conversation called I Love Church. And uh, over the last several weeks, we've acknowledged that that's not a quote that you're going to read in the San Francisco Chronicle. It's not one you're going to see in the New York Times. It's not necessarily what any of us think when we think about the church. Uh, We've been perhaps hurt by the church. There's a lot of scandal in the church. There's predator priests. There's all sorts of uh, atrocities happening within the church, which has caused a lot of pain for people. So to say, I love the church, sounds ridiculous. Uh, First Peter, however, this little letter written by the most probably memorable of the disciples and apostles, Peter, He's mentioning not just our love for the church, but rather Jesus's love for a group of people whom he's gathering together throughout time, throughout history, globally into a relationship, personal relationship with God. So God loves his church. Jesus loves his church. So in this conversation, we're not wanting this to be about you and I getting stuck on the issue of church. Like, hey, I don't really know if I can deal with God because of, you know, church. They're messy people, and I don't, I don't really know if I can do the Jesus thing because of church. We're trying to look at First Peter and actually do the opposite. Like, let's deal with and interact with God and Jesus and start there. So, uh, so whatever your background with church is, and, and we also need to say that some of us, church has not been a place of pain. Church has been a place of uh, being reparented. It's been a place of stability. It's been a place of nurturing our soul, our uh, social being, and giving us a place of friends and people we can depend on and people we can trust. And so uh, for some of us, that may be our first reaction to say, I do, indeed, I do love church. Um, So anyway, uh, over the last weeks, we've looked at church as a home, church as a hospital, church as a mission, and then a couple weeks ago we looked at church as a stranger, and then today we're looking at church as a citizen. So uh, we'll get started with church as a citizen. Um, Anybody get really excited in this room? I'm just going to take a quick survey. Anybody get really, really excited about talking about politics? Okay, we we got a few. We got a few, all right. We got, got, got a growing number here, raising hands. Anybody in here get really uncomfortable when the topic of politics comes up? Got anybody like that? Nobody, all right. Great, great, great. 
San Francisco. Oh, we got we got we got a couple of hands uh, going up, going ish. You know, ish. I get a little uncomfortable. Um, what about this? What about Thanksgiving? Was Thanksgiving a, a time where around your table, wherever you were, that the politics came up? Uh, were you that person that, that like brought it up? Were you that person that uh, maybe you saw uh, the Saturday Night Live Thanksgiving special? Anybody see that? Uh, yes, great. Thank you. I, I really, really loved um, a lot of the sketches. One in particular was the, the scene, they're all gathering around the table, and of course politics comes up, the issue of race or injustice comes up around the table, and, and the people there just end up arguing, and it gets real loud, and, and to maintain unity in the family, there's a little girl who leaves the little table, goes over here and presses play on the stereo, and it was Adele's song, Hello. And, and all the characters around the table just burst out in the song singing it together. And, and they experience a moment of unity together, just you know, lip-syncing this song together. And then all of a sudden the doorbell rings and someone else sits down to the table uh, only to get the drama and the conflict riled up again. So uh, point being, politics um, isn't necessarily something that we get excited about when we think over at least the last two years of rising conflict and uh, unparalleled bipartisan uh, rhetoric. Uh, none of us uh, get excited about that and the division that all of it has caused. Um, Peter, Peter, our writer, is wanting to talk to us in such a way that we understand a citizenship that we have, not about your ethnicity, not about your being Democrat or Republican or independent or who gives a but your citizenship is about an identity that he's given, that God has given you all because of grace. Okay, so that's a starting point that we want to make. Uh, another point we want to make is there's a lot of people in this country who have been here for a long time and have had a long journey towards gaining citizenship here in, in the United States. Some of those people are your friends, maybe family members. I have a friend who posted on Facebook um, yesterday how excited she is at this 25-year journey towards citizenship. Her immigration process has been 25 years, and so she's celebrating her citizenship. Um, while that's unique and exciting, the specific thing about our citizenship with God is that there is not work involved. There is no long journey of making sure that you do this and you do that and you hope the system goes right and you hope, hope, hope and pray only to be denied. But our relationship with God, our citizenship with God and in God's kingdom is all by grace and mercy and something God does to bring us into citizenship with himself. That's good news. That's something that we celebrate together. Uh, maybe bumper stickers here in San Francisco about politics. You, you remember some of those that you've seen? I'll, I'll read a few that I've taken note of just in the last week. So I know there's a lot more, but in preparation for this talk, here's a few that I've captured this last week. Pray for a secular government. You seen that one? I mean, these are bumper stickers. Come on, it's okay to laugh. Bumper stickers... Bumper stickers in San Francisco regarding politics that I took notes on this past week. Pray for a secular government was one of them. Another one is keep the government out of my kitchen. That one was uh, farmtoconsumer.org. We are citizens united against citizens united. 
another one was people cast votes. Corporations buy elections. Ouch. Ouch. Another one said, one nation under surveillance. And then another one um, is, I dream of a world where chickens can cross the road without having their motives questioned. <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, and again, in, in turning this towards what Peter, our writer, wants to say to us today, Peter is writing to first century um, people coming together, learning their new identity. Uh, ethnically, they're, they're all in different places. Socially, they're in different places. Politically, they're in different places. But he's coming to give them a stability about their identity. And so what he wants to give us today is that when God changes your citizenship, he invites you into a politics of paradox. It's kind of a long way to say it. But as a Christ follower, as a person who has a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God, your politics, don't look now, but your politics will look and be and feel different. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're all in one camp as a Republican. It doesn't mean that you're all in one camp as a Democrat. And that's because Jesus is other. Jesus is not Democrat. Jesus is not Republican. Jesus is king. So he's other. Therefore, our politics will be one of, uh, one of paradox. So let me, let me read what Peter has to say to us, and we'll try to pull out a few, uh, a few things. And as always, we, we won't really get to the end of it. Uh, but that's part of the point, is just getting in God's word together. You can uh, follow along here. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 17, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So this very first point is when God changes your citizenship. Again, the goal here for any of us isn't to necessarily become an American citizen as if that's the greatest thing in the world. But as a Christian, globally speaking, the, the goal here is to, to, to receive and to own this new citizenship that God has given you. So let's look at it. Verse 9 says, Once you were a part of darkness. Verse 10 goes on to say, Once you were a people who did not know God's saving grace and mercy. I mean, is this astounding 
uh, or what? That you've been moved from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And, and why do we make that move? How is that possible for you or for me? I mean, honestly, it's just not fair or right to, to think about one of a non, like a non-Christian friend and say, oh, I just wish they would just figure it out. Or I wish that they would just believe already. This citizenship is an act of grace which God bestows upon those who receive him as king and as Lord. This is a gift that he's talking about. That's how the move happens. Peter opens the letter by saying that it's this Father, this Son, this Holy Spirit that comes to us. You're no longer a citizen of this world, but you're a citizen of a different world. And that transfer from one citizenship to another citizenship may feel incredibly awkward. It may feel like you've been displaced. I remember becoming a Christian in college. I was around 22 years old, and uh, the feeling of being displaced, of coming out of a group of friends whom I thought would be my family, whom I thought would give me everything I was looking for, although it was a group of friends that would, in time, betray me and steal from me and essentially suck life from me. But originally, coming out of that community in that context um, into a new context, it felt like I was being displaced. I don't know anybody. I don't know any other Christians. I don't, I don't understand how this works. I don't know um, how this new kingdom uh, operates. I don't get it. I, I don't even understand how God works and operates. God's kingship how, how, is, is he going to be um, a, a ruthless leader? Is he going to be someone I can trust? Is he just going to take my goodies away? And um, Should I fear him? All of those things were happening to me. Um, verse 11, though, mentions that, that your status has been radically, radically improved. And so as we look at this, I'm just inviting you to think about your transition, your own transition from, from one citizenship to another in particular from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This new citizenship and identity that God has given you. Think back with me. Think back, maybe it's present day right now that this is even happening to you, or think back years ago when this transition was taking place for you. Verse 11 tells you that, see, now you're a foreigner. You're an alien. When... When, when this place doesn't feel like your home, when this system here operates in an incredibly different way than a benevolent, loving, heavenly father operates, it's because you're an alien here. You're a stranger. You're a foreigner here. This is not your home. And what that means is the ache and the longing, I believe, that you and I have for peace Shalom, harmony, unity with each other that Adele's song can't truly give us. Love Adele, but is it's that long ago you and I were created in God's image for that peace, for that harmony, for that love. And because of the way the story goes, that sin entered our world and 
there was a horrific crash that began to threaten that love that we had with one another and the harmony that we had with creation. Um, all of that ha has come upon us. And so no wonder we're, we're aliens. No wonder we're strangers. Uh, that, that homesickness that we feel is to get back to that. And that's the hope and belief and assurance that we have as believers is that Christ will return to reestablish all of that created order and beauty and liberation. That's what the church is waiting for. The church is now in a season of, of being caught up. And so even though Advent season, beginning next Sunday, where we are celebrating Christ being born um, over 2,000 years ago, we're also adventing together. We're also hoping, longing in expectation for this Christ to return to restore our identity and to restore our, our world. Uh, look how Christ uh, has, has changed the conversation. So, so when God changes your citizenship, he changes the conversation totally. Verse, verse 9, it says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. And what this means is, yes, you and I participate in the conversation that's at work, that's on Facebook, that's on Saturday Night Live. That's on wherever you do your hobbies, wherever your family is. We, as representatives of Christ, we participate in the conversation of the culture, yes. However, that being said, we also start new conversations. We also gently, lovingly, with patience, redirect the conversation at times. Verse 9 says that you may declare this doesn't have to mean a, a street preacher declaring loudly or perhaps obnoxiously, but Christians are to be declaring when appropriate, when there's been given that opportunity. Remember 1 Peter says, always be ready to give the reason for why you believe. And if you're open and if you're willing and when you're with family, there will be moments when there's an opportunity gently change the conversation. Sometimes it's just by a question. Again, don't be awkward. This is not licensed to be obnoxious and to run your friends away from your Christianity. But we're to help turn the conversation towards God, to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. There's a really good friend of mine right now here in San Francisco, and as we get to, he's in a running club that I'm a part of, and as we get to know each other, it's just what friends do, right? You want to hear their story out of respect and curiosity and interest, and so you listen, and you ask good questions, and you ask clarifying questions, and they have an opportunity to, to share about who they are and what they're passionate about, and uh, there's reciprocity in the relationship. If it's a good, stable, true friendship, there's always reciprocity, which means you too get an opportunity to share what makes your heart beat and your identity and what you're passionate about. And so uh, that's what's being talked about here. Peter, Peter's essentially saying, look, church, let me establish you in your identity because guess what? You're going to doubt it. Oh, for sure. You're going to doubt your new, your new identity. You're going to have forces of the system coming all up on you and around you that will do its best to convince you that this identity that we're talking about is not even true. 
And then he even says in verse 11, there will be sinful desires inside you that's also, it says, quote, warring against your very soul. And so Peter is just trying to say, let me calm all of that down and give you the assurance of how stable your identity and your citizenship really is. It can't be improved upon. You can't lose it. Uh, so this is incredible. And he's basically, Peter is basically quoting from the lips of God uh, from Exodus chapter 19. So a little context, Exodus chapter 19, this is that, that scene at, at Mount Sinai where God's people, the Israelites, are being brought together. He's about to give them the Ten Commandments. As we all know, it shows up in Exodus chapter 20. But listen to these tender, tender words of a loving father as he speaks to them. He says, now obey me. Keep my covenant. Out of all the nations, you are my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom and a citizenship of priests and a holy nation. You are the jewel of his crown. You are his treasured possession. You have been bought with a price. You belong. You are known. You are loved. You've been given patience upon patience. You've been given compassion and mercy and forgiveness. You are no longer slaves. You are kings and queens. So now I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, good morning, your majesty. Can you try that? Say, good morning, your majesty. Did everybody get a greeting? If you didn't, I'll look at you and I'll say it to you. Good morning, your majesty. Didn't, didn't that feel really good? You're maybe like a little awkward. I'm not sure what you're feeling right now, but that is, in a sense, who you are. You are kings and queens. We literally cannot hear enough of this. We forget it. We'll forget about it in two minutes, I guarantee you. And we're back to reorienting ourselves with other notions of of identity. What color am I? How much is in that bank account? What do I got to do at work tomorrow? Uh, How many friends do I really have? Who liked this post or that post? Are the uh, Black Friday sales still on? I mean, this is something that we need to continue uh, to listen to and, and to hear. And the beauty of this word priest that he's saying about us is that you are a priest First of all, that does not mean that you are perfect. That feels real good, because I know that I'm not, and I know that you're not, and you know that I'm not. So let's just get honest with each other. But to be called priest by God is an identity that he's given us and how God views us. Priests have a personal relationship with God, and so they represent God to people, and they represent people's needs to God almost like a bridge. That's who we really are. Uh, So now this politics of paradox, almost a tongue twister there, politics of paradox showing up in verse 13. Submit yourselves, okay? So, So Pastor Peter is guiding these new Christians how to relate to the city, the public square, and the common good. Okay, there's obvious differences between Peter in in first century and us here in the 21st century. We know those differences. 
Peter in the Roman Empire and us and the Western democracies, uh, yet there's a bridge between his culture and ours. First one, I think, is that your Christianity is both personal and public. It's not just to be privatized in their own private spaces of your heart, wherever that might be. Uh, but there is an, an element of Christ being real and, uh, and, and us following this Christ is where your Christianity is, is private but also is also public. And so some, uh, some insist that the church has no business, none whatsoever, ministers included. Some people say that churches have no business whatsoever talking about business, talking about politics, talking about finance, talking about sexuality, talking about culture, movies, music, art, and the like. Christians, ministers, churches, they need to stay over here and just talk to us about our soul. Uh, There should be some divorce or segregation between what's sacred and what's secular. Uh, The Bible doesn't do that, by the way. Um, Church history has done that to itself, and others have done that to the church Uh, So what's happening here is um, the mission of the church, politically, is not to gather and hope that we're all alike, politically. (laughs) Uh, That's one of the first mistakes that the church, I believe, can make and has made. Or to assume and to think and even to perhaps preach and suggest that all Christians, if you really are a Christian, you will vote like this. Uh, That that should should never be the case of, of a church. Um, The church is not celebrating the unity that we have with who we voted for, necessarily. Uh, Our unity is coming because of the citizenship that we just talked about and that Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, is reminding us about. So the mission of the church is that we're called to engage ideas and beliefs of the culture and public patterns of our culture and our city. You should be on executive boards of organizations and startups and so forth. You should be leaders in your places of work. You should be regular in how often you go to a meetup that you go to. You should be present in doing what you're doing. You should uh, be giving uh, great excellence in what you do if you're a student. You should be going at it and after it as though, in reality, you are representing Christ. You are bringing Christ's presence into that place. Not so that you can be obnoxious, but so that Christ's very presence, who's with you and I and human beings, ends up showing up in that place in a unique way that only you will bring because of the very gifts that God has placed in each of you. It's phenomenal the way that uh, Christ... um, (laughs) embodies believers and even places those people in different spheres in the public sector for God's purposes. So for, for, for Peter to mention the emperor tells us that we can't separate and segregate the inward and the outward and the invisible and the visible and the spiritual and the social. I mean, look at the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, called the Pentateuch. God is teaching not only the person, but the family and community of believers that our faith connects with jurisprudence, public health, education, welfare, economics, the environment even. It's all there. Go read it. It's all there. 
Um, so our politics, our Christianity is both public and personal. The second thing is that your Christianity is both submissive and subversive at the same time. Even when I or you, we're not even aware that that's what God is, is up to. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every human authority. The bumper sticker we've seen says, resist authority. <laughs> Saw that one this past week here in San Francisco. Resist authority. Uh, no one has ever seen a bumper sticker that says, submit to authority. You ever seen one like that? And you won't. You won't. Why? What do you feel right now as I say that word, authority? I mean, it feels perhaps uncomfortable. It feels like someone's about to put a straitjacket on me. There's something about to happen, and I need to run from it. Uh, others of us may feel protected and cared for when we hear the word authority. But in terms of etymology, at least where this word is even coming from, it means author, someone who is the author. And we can't get away from the way Peter's presenting God here. God is the author, a loving, benevolent author of your story. He's your author. And so when we say to surrender to authority, we're meaning to yield. We're meaning to, to submit and, and to pledge glad allegiance, uh, not necessarily to the American flag, and nothing against that, but primary would be to pledge glad allegiance to King Jesus every morning in, in your very soul. I belong to Christ. He is my king. Uh, and so this is a good thing when we think about submitting and yielding. We, we say something like, God, your way is better than my way today because I certainly don't understand what's going on in my world or in my city regarding the injustice, the racism, the classism. I don't understand it, but God, your way somehow is better. God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. That's what it sounds like to yield. God, I can't understand what you're doing right now. I don't even know if I agree with what you're doing right now, but I yield. I yield. And I end up saying, God, you are good. There's a couple of us that have experienced break-ins in the last few weeks. Break-ins. Um, I know Hal was sharing a few weeks ago how, how his backpack was stolen, and uh, tomorrow he's going to be standing in court um, identifying you know, the, the thief. And so remember to pray for Hal regarding that. There have been a couple of hit-and-runs where uh, a couple of us, our cars have been damaged by some... Ugh, jerk or you know whatever that's like a hit and run wow but yielding to god in the midst of the break-ins yielding to yielding to god doesn't mean that there's not grief expressed or lamenting that that there's evil in our world or injustice that's taking place but to yield is a lot of what we see jesus doing and it's recorded for us in first peter chapter 2 verse 23 let me read what Jesus is doing. While Jesus lived in this world, Jesus is yielding, yielding to God the Father who has a plan and who has a story as the author and is writing it in such an incredibly beautiful way that we don't understand and we can't imagine it. First Peter writes, 
When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When Jesus suffered, he made no threats. Instead, Jesus entrusted himself to God who judges justly. There's the power in what we've been talking about this morning. Look at Jesus, not as someone whom we're aspiring to be, but someone who's our representative, someone who is on our behalf showing us what politics looks like, someone who's showing us what citizenship with God and being a total stranger in this world looks like. Whatever my scenario, the fires of paradise that's been happening, um, an, an aging, uh, sick mother or father or, or sibling, a loss of a parent, a disease that I'm struggling through right now, racism that I encounter every day, this immigration junk that I'm trying to work through to gain citizenship here, whatever is going on, Jesus shows us how to entrust that situation with God. That's our hope. That's where our stability is. Not in how I can figure it out or work hard to make it all work out or convince others that everything's going to be okay. So let's, let's land the plane right here and just take a moment to pray together and, and invite uh, God to, to lead you forward. So in this moment of prayer right now, we're just, we're just inviting you, and I'm invited to entrust, entrust, Whatever you're going through right now that, that may feel difficult or challenging or, or, or beyond your limits, just entrust it right now to God who, who, who cares. Let's pray. Father, we do entrust our various situations and realities towards you. We are human, which means we have limits. We don't know all the answers. We get tired. We get frustrated. It's hard for us to love certain people. It's hard for us to understand other people. And so God, in the differences of our politics, in the differences of everything else about us, personalities included, God, we pray that you would continue to give us unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so right now, we do entrust, with, we entrust to you our very lives every situation that we're going through. You are competent. You are able to lead us forward. We pray all this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.